Amen. Good morning. My name is Pastor Adam. Was it because is it the hair? Is that what's confusing you? Anyway, I'm going to introduce him in a moment, but I also want to uh, open up uh, and talk about um, this weekend. Um, you knew guys, we took college students from here and put them in all the way in Brownwood, Texas for our ENC retreat. And I really want to personally thank you for those who sponsored them to go. We were able to send 67 uh, from here this morning, I mean this weekend, and it was an amazing time, but they had, this is the first time they had this many people. They had over 250 students there. And it was a big grill. Me and Ms. Madonna went yesterday. Pastor Adam spoke last night. And I'm here to tell you our future looks bright with those young college students, tomorrow's leaders, tomorrow's presidents, and, and church planners. And really, thank you again for supporting them and, and, and getting them in that spot. Uh, we heard testimonies all the time that someone was able to pay for them to get there. And I thank you for your generosity. You guys are amazing. Give yourselves a hand this morning. Amen. The second thing is, you'll be on the way out the door, if you didn't get one on the inside, we're going to have a celebration service to, uh, uh, October 28th. Um, both our services is going to be our Generations Dare to Believe celebration um, so service. Uh, if you didn't know if you were a guest this morning, I want to let you know that we started a campaign a few months ago um, talking about generations. And what we wanted to do is reach out, um, expand our capacity to reach people and build our capacity to um, build community. And we want to do take uh, money that we collect and put this thing together, add staff, which we've been doing, and also do some work on our building to open it up for the community. And those who have been giving, thank you so much for that. But we're going to actually get together, celebrate the milestone, what God has done and what he's going to do, and give people more opportunity they want to dive in on this. It's an amazing thing what God's doing. Remember, we want to be around the next 100 years. Amen. And this is the way we feel this is a tipping point in our life as a church to build this and do this. So bring someone with you. It's going to be exciting. Something's going to be up each Sunday. We're just going to thank God for his goodness and his grace that he has taught us. Amen. All right. Last thing, no, we have a treat today. I will not be preaching, which I'm glad. We have Pastor Adam Mabry from our church in Aletheia Church in Boston. For you guests who don't know who, um, what I'm talking about, um, we're part of a high, we're part of a family of churches called Every Nation Churches and Ministries. And Adam's part of the family. I call him part of the family. He has the same hairstyle, so we do get along instantly. Uh, but he's been with us um, this morning. It's an amazing time. We actually added the uh, first service, the notes and everything. It's going to be in our Bible app, so you can use that. But uh, let me give you a little information on Pastor um, um, Mabry. He said, he lived, like I said, he's a church, lead pastor of Aletheia Church, a growing church in Boston, Massachusetts. He lives there with his wife, uh, Hope. He has four kids. Now, he calls his four kids the humans. So he'll explain that to you. You can laugh. That's a joke. Okay. But he's very passionate about church planning, campus ministry, and world missions. Now, here's the thing about Adam. He's an amazing writer, speaker, and coach. And he coaches a lot with our Every Nation family on church planning. He's passionate about church planning. He's a mind of church planning. And we're just so blessed to have him. But he's also an author, accomplished author. And one of the books he's wrote is what we've been, he's, um, he's going to share with today. Uh, it's called The Art of Rest. And that's what he's going to preach on today about having faith to, um, to take, have rest in God. And it's going to change your life. I, I encourage you to get your Bibles out, get your notebooks open, open up your heart to hear what God has to say. It's going to bless each and every one of us. I know it's been tearing, my, tearing me up from the inside to make me a better Christian on the outside. So without further ado, I want us to give a, um, give a great GPC welcome to Pastor Adam Mabry. 
Good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm glad to hear that. It's great to be back in the great nation of Texas. When I left my house uh, yesterday, it was 51 degrees, and when I arrived here, I found the other 50 degrees. Uh, I forgot. It's hot down here, um, but not so much this morning. Uh, it, it's, good to, it's good to be with you. Um, I do, in fact, yes, I, as Pastor Rich said, uh, I do have a growing collection of humans. Uh, I'll introduce them to you if you want to throw that back up. Uh, that's Hope on the top left. She's my wife. These are our kids. It's Alana, bottom left. She's my 13-year-old clone, so watch out. Um, her little sister, Nora, is 11, and she's my nature-loving, piano-playing, taekwondo, punch-throwing, uh, just really, really cool young woman of God. This is her little brother, Cole. He just turned nine. He is my, um, I call him my warrior poet. Half the time, he wants to wrestle with me or talk to me about sports, and the other half of the time, he wants to, like, cuddle on the couch and read a book. He's got a really sweet spirit. And then Wyatt, he's crazy. Um, <laughs> Wyatt, Wyatt is I think in Al-Qaeda's early training program to slowly, to slowly terrorize my house. Um, so yeah, uh, we call him the sleeper agent because he walks, he'll walk up behind you and then he'll just out of nowhere, he'll jump off of something onto you, like, like straight, full, just all, whatever it means to be 100% boy, that's him. Um, so we have a lot of fun together, and they bid you hello uh, this morning from, from Boston. Um, I am very, very glad to be with you today, um, talking to you a little bit about uh, the message behind uh, the book I wrote called The Art of Rest. Um, and so in order to do that, we're going to open our scriptures, we're going to read, I will pray, and then by faith, God is going to speak to us through the preaching of his word. Yeah? So let's open your Bible, if you have one, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, we'll start in verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, it's really easy to be so used to coming to church and hearing sermons that we can miss you. So, Father, I pray that you would um, disrupt us a little bit. You'd convict us. You'd open our ears. You'd soften our hearts. And you'd show us, God, how we can respond to your invitation to the art of rest this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 2013. Church was blown up. We had this cute little 18-month-old, the boy who's now five that you saw in the picture. We just bought a house. We were launching our second location. I was finishing a master's degree. All that sounds great, right? Like, oh, what fun. How blessed. Hashtag blessed. Life was crazy, though. And then on the other side of, your inst- of my Instagram feed, I was putting in 50, 60 hours a week at church, 10, 15 hours a week on my graduate degree. Wyatt didn't know how to sleep. And we bought a house, yeah, but our house was built in 1880 because Boston's the third most expensive real estate market in North America. It was the only thing we could afford, and I had to remodel it because I'm the third owner. Yeah, wow. And my whole life, I've been driven to achieve. Like, I'm just a doer as I was, I mean, from a little kid, like, I've just always been very busy. Even today, I only require, like, five or six hours of sleep. I get a lot done. I like to work really hard. Um, I met my wife when I was 15. I, I, when we graduated from high school, I shoved my degree into two years just so that I could marry her faster. I got, I graduated. We got married a week later. You know, I, we're just, I'm the kind of person who likes to be very busy. Is anybody else an achiever? 
Amen. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Yeah, I like, I, I feel you. I feel you. I love to get stuff done. I have lists. I have a calendar that, that has seven other calendars synced into it. I plan times that I'm going to plan things. Are you with me? Like, I am fastidious with my time, and I am really, really, really oriented toward getting stuff done. So imagine the irony when I was sitting on the couch across from my wife saying, hey, sweetie, I'm going to write a book on rest. She out loud laughed at me for solidly five minutes. It was like the funniest thing she'd ever heard. The story goes like this. When all that was going down, and I was working really hard, Life was getting nuts, and I thought that the way that I was going to get through it was just by pushing the gas a little harder, by achieving a little more, by working a little bit more, because my whole life, whenever anything challenging came up, all I needed to do was kind of turn up the heat, and then we got, I got through it, right? But God, in his mercy, gave me something I could not get through, because he wanted to teach me more than just how to do stuff for him. He wanted to invite me into the art of rest and show me that I need him more than I need to do things for him. And so... In that season, guys, I hit the deepest, darkest depression of my entire life. I mean, it was bad. I wanted to quit everything. I wanted to quit life, quit marriage, quit ministry, quit fatherhood, quit it all. And part of how God delivered me from that moment was by teaching me how to stop. And not to take me time, but how to rest with God so that I might learn how to work properly with him. Now, we just read a really familiar passage of the scriptures. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's one of those things that's like on one of those Hobby Lobby wooden signs that we hang, you know, in our house, you know. But I wonder if we actually believe it. I wonder if, you know, that's one of those things, like we all agree Jesus said that, you know, it looks great in our office where we disobey it. But I wonder if we actually trust that Jesus actually does have a light yoke and an easy burden, and that he really can give us rest. See, I think that even though we're here in church this morning, and we tend to like our scriptures, right? We like the Bible? The correct answer here is yes. We like the Bible, okay? I didn't bring my Quran or Book of Mormon this morning. We're in the Bible, yeah? All right? Like we like the scriptures. We believe that this is God-breathed text right here that has authority over our lives. And yet, I think we do a little Bible misinterpretation whenever we hear Jesus' invitation to come practice the art of rest. I think that we take Jesus' words and we add a few things to them. And so what I want to do this morning is show you some of the ways maybe we mishear or or don't respond correctly to the invitation to the art of rest and what can be done about it. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think the first way we mishear that is we hear God say, come to me when you're done. Come to me when you're done. Come to me when you're done, and then I will give you rest. So this is me all the time. God, I can't wait to be with you. I'm, I've just got these things. I've got a lot of stuff to do. As soon as I just get my, you know, house in order, as soon as, you know, we got some marriage things to work on, it's a really busy time, you know, at church. My kids are going through this thing, and we make excuses. I see this happen all the time in Boston, okay? Our main congregation is right in between Harvard and MIT. I'm surrounded by the most achieverly-oriented people I've ever met in my life. They're also the most highly anxious and highly depressed people I've ever been around in my life. And here's what they tell me. Well, I'm in a, as soon as I'm through exam season, as soon as I'm out of my degree program, as soon as I meet my spouse, as soon as I get into grad school, as soon as I get out of grad school, you know, as soon as I get my first job, as soon as I get established, as soon as we get in a home, as soon as we have kids, as soon as the kids get a little older. And eventually it's like as soon as we retire and then you die and you've never learned how to practice the art of rest. We feel like we're, 
we can only come to the Lord to experience rest with him as soon as we learn how to stop. And in believing that, we simply give ourselves a Christian-sounding excuse to disobey the words of Christ. You ever do this? Oh, you know, I'm, I, I can't come to church today. I can't really be with God because I'm in a really busy season. Don't you love putting Christian-sounding words on unwise life choices? It's like God's up there going, oh, well, he did say a Christian word, so I guess that makes it okay. Come to me when you're done. When the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God in the book of Exodus, the way it works was like this. God called Moses, an imperfect but faithful man, to rescue the people of Israel by bringing them out of their bondage through the waters of the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. Then, having been delivered, they were given the law. Note, please, no one in the Old Testament was saved by works. They were rescued, they were delivered, and then they were given the law. It's not like God threw the law at them and said, well, if you can get this done, maybe I'll rescue you from Egypt. No. God saves his people brings them into their promised land and gives them the law, gives them the, here's, here's how to live with me. And one of those things he said was utterly revolutionary. He says this in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is utterly revolutionary. They just come from bondage to a man who believed he was a god, and in order for him to sit in constant rest and luxury, he demanded nothing but their ceaseless labor. God wanted his people to understand, I'm not like that fake God man you were just enslaved by. I'm utterly different. I don't need your labor. We're making our world, and in so doing, and when we disregard rest, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to make and sustain my way. I've got to make my own way. Come on, this is Texas, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're the only state in the union where you, actually you wear boots. I mean, you people are the ones doing it, right? There's a lot of boots here, guys. We have snow boots, but it's not the same. <laughs> We're the kind of people, I mean, Americans are known around the world as the kind of people who like, we, we get stuff done, we show up, we work harder. I mean, if you look at just the hours a week that the average American works compared to literally every other industrialized nation on the earth, we work more of them. Small wonder then that we're more stressed out than everybody else. Now you'd think that we wouldn't be over the last 10 years. Did you know that we've spent uh, each year, more and more money on self-help. Last year, we spent more money on self-help products than the poorest 85 nations in the world had as their entire gross domestic product. So you'd think by that kind of investment, we'd be the pictures of health. I don't know if you've read the news lately, but we're not. We're stressed out, anxious, restless. And then even when we do enter into times of rest, we don't do it right. I grew up in Florida. This is hilarious. I grew up at the place, Panama City Beach. It's where I was born and raised. Around people who were either spending a ton of money to experience rest or who'd retired to finally get to rest. And then when they got it, they discovered that they didn't know how to rest because this world is not meant to give you the thing that God only can give you. You were made to experience and to respond to the art, to the invitation 
to rest in Jesus. And what that means is we believe by our embodied practice that God is the one who's making and sustaining our world. When you refuse to stop, what you're really saying with your life is that you don't trust God to be God. You need to help him out. That's what I was doing. I needed to get everything done. I needed to get that degree finished. I needed to get... Nothing bad would have happened if I'd added six more months to all the things that I was doing. And yet something in me was driving me, and it wasn't Jesus calling me. I don't know if it's some future version of yourself that you need to just be living up to. I don't know if it's the pressure of parents. I don't know if it's pressure that you've put on yourself, but I can tell you this. You can work really hard in six days, and you can rest. Now, I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, okay? That's the belief that you have to have a 24-hour Sabbath on Sunday. I work like an 18-hour day on Sundays. I'm not resting on Sundays. I'm a pastor. (laughs) But that which is no longer command from the Old Testament to the New is still wise, In other words, not resting regularly may not be sin, but it sure is stupid. And there's a lot of things that, you know, we want to avoid sin. Yeah, avoid sin, but also avoid stupid. There are four whole books in your Bible that are, there are four whole books in your Bible that are, that are wisdom books. And wisdom books work like this. God wants to mature you to become the kind of person who can make wise choices. Come on, parents. Do you really want to run your children's lives in every small decision every day for the rest of their existence? No. No. When we were little, my wife, or when my children were little, my wife and I kind of leaned into that helicopter parent thing a little too hard. So by the time my oldest daughter was about five, we realized we were like, this is awful. We need to stop this. And so now I just, I can't wait for them to like be responsible on their own. You know, they're like, dad, what do I do here? What do I do here? What do I do here? And finally, one of my children the other day, I was like, I need you to not ask me any more guidance questions until Tuesday. Figure it out. You've been pretty well parented. I feel like you're not going to burn anything down or kill yourself. Just figure it out. You got this. Like, get out of here. Leave me alone. Not because I don't love her, but because like, I'm not, I don't, the, the way this works is I'm not, I'm not holding the controller to your life. Be wise. Friends, we need to allow God to teach us not just what to believe, but also wisdom. And it is unwise to neglect the practice and invitation of rest and say to the Lord, oh, I'll get there when I'm done. You're never done. Spoiler alert. You're going to keep having things to do until you die. So if, if we're looking for a time, like I don't know anyone that just woke up one week and is like, I don't have much to do. I think I'll just spend all day with the Lord. Like, I, very few people, very few people. I mean, even in writing this book, so, you know, I'm going through this, this experience in 2013. God brought me through it by teaching me to rest. And so at some point, I, I brought this out a couple of years later when I really worked through it in my soul to my church. I wanted to share with them what God had taught me. A couple of years after that, I got a phone call from a guy that I'd never met. He said, hey, I want to talk to you about writing a book. And I felt really flattered. Really flattered. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get to write like on theology or church planting or how to look amazing, bald, any of those things that I know how to, I know how to do. Pastor Rich, we could have co-wrote that book, I feel like. <laughs> and he sat me down. He's like, we really want to invite you to write a book on rest. And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm scrumpy about it. Like, you got the wrong guy. And they're like, no, no, we heard the sermon that you did and about how terrible you are at it. And so we feel like if you can learn, there's hope for everybody. <laughs> and that's what the book is about. It's true. 
Like, I'm not naturally restful. I'm a super high-achieving, twitchy East Coaster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the invitation of the art of rest is not to be obtained just when I'm done. The second way we misinterpret Jesus' invitation is this. Come to me when you're good. Come to me if you're good. Just straighten yourself up. Don't come to me unless your church clothes are on, unless your shirt's tucked in and you've got a penny in both loafers. Don't come to me unless your life is all worked out. I can't tell you how often I hear this. You know, like, Pastor, I'll, you know, I'll get serious about Jesus as soon as I get my life right. And I'm like, that's as dumb as saying, I'll get serious about eating as soon as I stop being so hungry. Like, you're, you're neglecting the very thing that is designed to give you the thing that you want. You don't come to Jesus tidied up. That's ridiculous. He came to clean you, to change you, to conform you to the image of his Father. And you don't, you don't fix yourself up. You don't help him out. He, no, no, no. Don't come to God when you're, when you're good. Now, you might not know this, but the Ten Commandments are actually given twice in the Old Testament. Once in the book of Exodus, but another time in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. Okay, so there's a lot of repeated material, but there, it's slightly changed, and that confuses people sometimes. They're like, why, why, why is it changed? Why isn't it exactly the same? Because God was emphasizing a different reason for why he wanted them to do what they were doing. So in Deuteronomy, when the, when the Sabbath command is given, God doesn't say, because I made the world. Listen to what he says. Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You are going to remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord God brought you out. Not come to me when you're good. See, in refusing to come to God until we feel like we're morally good enough to come to him, we disallow him to, to take his rightful place as savior. When I rest and I lay down my labor, do you know what I'm doing? I'm driving a stake in the heart of my own Messiah complex that says, unless I show up, it won't get done. Unless I help out, it won't be there. Unless I show up at every Bible study and I'm at every single church thing, God can't do what he's going to do. And I'm just, the message of Christianity about what it means to be human is so interesting because you're, it, simultaneously, here's what God says about you. You are cosmically important and you're not that important. You're made in the image of God. He cares for you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. You are infinitely and eternally valuable, but you're also not that important. What I mean by that is God doesn't like need you to get like stressed out and to labor 80 hours a week and refuse to rest. God does not require that of you. False gods require that of you to deliver you into a false version of heaven. The true God does not require that of you. He's already done everything for you to bring you into what is really heaven so he can work with you and then allow you to rest. As you remember, he's the one who saves, not you. By laying down your labor and by, by actually embracing the art of rest, what you're saying is, God, I trust you to save. I trust you to build. I trust you to rescue. I'm not Messiah. You are Messiah. You're Messiah. It's so easy, friends, to feel like we've got to respond to everything. How many of you have one of these little little slave drivers in your phone or in your pocket? The supercomputer of sin. This little thing that every, every morning... When you, when you look at it, just is beckoning to you about how much money you don't have and the emails you didn't answer and the text messages you need to respond to and all the news that you need to care about and the hashtags that you need to virtue signal to your friends that you're also up on and like the Instagram things, everybody's life looks better than yours. This little thing can stress you out, can't it? So here's a practice. I'm grateful. This is a very helpful tool. Every morning, I refuse to look at this first. I've taken, I've taken, I've, here's my habit. 
I wake up, I tell God thank you. The first words out of my mouth, I really try to utter gratitude toward God. And the first thing I want my eyes to see is the scriptures. I'll come to that, but I don't want it to be the first thing that invades my soul because as soon as I see all the problems, I feel like I'm the one who's got to do something about it. But if I'll present myself to the Lord restfully just even once in the morning before I engage the day, man, the peace, the peace that sustains me. Like all of you are very busy. All of you have things depending on you, people depending on you. Like life is actually difficult. It's very challenging to do the things. And I have no idea what it's like to walk in your shoes. But what I do know is that Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. And he offers you restful peace. He doesn't need you to be anxious. Anxiety is what unbelief feels like. Come to me when you're good. He doesn't require that of us. And finally, the, the last way we mishear this is come to me, but find rest somewhere else. This one is so common in, in areas saturated with church. Come to Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'm really glad I'm not going to hell forever. Appreciate that. Also, really thankful. I like my church. I don't really know how to enjoy you, so therefore I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to find rest somewhere else. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to spend a lot of money on myself. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to have a few too many drinks than I need to. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to eat a little bit more than I need to. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to like ex- exercise you know, severely strong anger towards something. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to find some other pressure release valve or some other payoff somewhere else. I appreciate what you did for me, Jesus, but as I have no idea how to like gain any pleasure from you, I'm going to enjoy other things. Like, do you know why people like eat too much, drink too much, smoke what they shouldn't smoke, go where they shouldn't go, look at what they shouldn't look at? Do you, you know why some of you do those things? Because you enjoy them, right? That's why there's no like Kale Eaters Anonymous. No one's like, I just can't stop eating kale. And if you are, well, I mean, we'll pray for you, but that's kind of weird. Um, yeah, we overdo things that feel good because, in part, we don't know how to have sinful um, desires pushed away by enjoying something greater. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That's a weird phrase because a yoke is like the thing that would, you know, hold oxen or horses or something down to do work. I don't want anybody's yoke, but Jesus is acknowledging you're already wearing one and yours is heavy and it doesn't fit and it's weird. Take mine, I'll carry your burdens, and we're going to work together, and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it. God delights to advance his kingdom with you, friends. He doesn't need you. He wants you, and that's so much better. You ever had a needy friend? If you didn't laugh at that, it's because you're the needy friend. (laughs) You should repent for that. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a pathology behind this. It's, it's called codependency. It's super unhealthy. It destroys families. It destroys children and friendships. If you need somebody, it's not super healthy. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He delight. Look, I love to, to tinker on my house now that I'm helped by some of this. And I love for my kids to help me, sort of. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to operate a nail gun with a five-year-old, but... It's a little stressy, but I actually really like, I love, I love being out there with my, with my kids. You know, we're currently, I have a huge fence I need to build and we're just sort of tinkering at it, you know, taking our time. It's not a big deal. I could have gotten it done a lot faster if I never involved them. Well, don't you think God would get a lot done faster if he just skipped you? (laughs) He just didn't have to deal with me. He could just kind of do the God thing and like, let there be, and then it was done. 
But he delights to be with his kids. He delights to teach us how to enjoy him. And you'll never know how to do that if you numb your need for God with constant labor. Work is a great way to hide. Work is a great way to hide. It's a great way to hide from your own sin. It's a great way to hide from your own issues. It's a great way to feel productive and good while on the inside dying slowly. Trust me, friends, I'm better at it than most. But eventually, God in his mercy will bring you to the end of yourself so that you can learn how to enjoy him. My friends, you were made for God. Your soul was meant to burn on the fuel of our Savior. In uh, Responding to Jesus' invitation to rest with him, therefore, is how we learn to enjoy him. So come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, is God's invitation to embrace the art of rest. And it's only possible because Jesus is actually the one who made the way. We, Jesus, you know, when we misinterpret his words, we hear him say, you know, come to me when you're done. But Jesus is the one who says, it is finished. He, he made it done. It's done. Like all of the hard work of saving and rescuing the world is finished. So come. We say, well, come to me when you're good. Jesus says, there's only one who's good. It's me. Like, I'm going to make you better. You're not going to impress me with your goodness. We say, well, you know, Jesus, I'll come to you, but, but you know, I, I'm going to enjoy something else. Jesus says, you have no idea what true joy really is until you taste from these waters, until you eat from this table, until you experience my presence. My friends, you are going to be forever with the Lord, and it's a whole lot bigger than just going to heaven and having an eternal worship service. You're going to learn how to participate in God's new world because you're God's new people, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we began that journey now by embracing the art of of rest. So here's my simple question to you. How are you going to respond to his invitation? You're going to say, well, you know, I'm really busy. I'm really, really busy. I've got, you know, all these kids things. May I just suggest to you here, I'm going to pick on a real big idol here in Texas. Some of you, you spend more money and time driving little Johnny around to soccer and football than you do with the Lord. Because Johnny, he's got to be. He's got to. He's got to make it. He's got to go. He's got to go. Do you know what? When Johnny's ACL is blown out at 24, because we don't have soccer stars, because this is America. Johnny may have needed his mom and dad to teach him that Jesus and what Jesus offers him is better than a contract or a scholarship or what sports can give him. I love sports. They're fun, man. Like they're great. A terrible God. Like we've had, I have four kids. They eat, if they each do two things, y'all, that's a lot of things. Like we're in the car a lot. We've had to tell them like, no, we're going to have a day of rest as a family and enjoy each other. And if that means you didn't get to do the thing you did, well, that's okay. Cause I care about your eternal life and your soul and you as a human more than I care about you. I don't know, going to that 35th practice. I get it. Life can be busy, but may I just suggest how different your city might be if a people actually began to practice the art of rest. Have you ever truly been around someone who is restful and at peace? They're like a bug light. You just want to be with them. Someone who really was secure, someone who really like, was convinced that God really loved them and that God really liked them and that they really enjoyed to be with him. Have you ever been around someone like that? They're just amazing. How different might Abilene, Texas be if a people of God began to practice, not just to say with their mouth that they believe this, because nobody cares what we say with our mouth, but to embody, to live it out. God, your restful presence is better 
than the 24-hour news cycle, than the attachment to my phone, than the always going to do all the things, you know, for all my kids living in this little kindergarten. Yeah, your city would be different. So would mine. So would mine. I get it. I get that it's hard. I get that we're achievement-driven. I get all that. That's why it's an art. It's like any art. The first time you start a new art, you're bad at it. Two of my kids play the violin. You ever heard someone learning to play the violin? <laughs> it sounds like someone opened a cat torture business in my house. It's awful. But after diligent practice, it's actually pretty beautiful. I mean, we're all kind of musical types, and so now we all play together. It's pretty fun. But in the beginning, ooh, okay, rest might be difficult for you. Keep practicing. Pick up the bow. Try again. Do it again. Do it again. Learn. Learn to embody the restful presence of God because Jesus was embodied so that you might have his restful presence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together today. Lord, I ask that you would help my friends in this room respond to the invitation to come and practice the art of rest. Lord, I pray first for my friends in here who are followers of Jesus, but maybe they're just feeling super anxious and exhausted. I want to encourage you, friends, if that's you today, you love Jesus, but like you're just not real sure how to, how to embrace rest with him, and you maybe just need to draw a line in the sand. I don't want to have like a super emotionally charged moment. I just want to give you a moment to draw a line in the sand and say, yeah, I need to, I need to get out my calendar. I need to have a conversation with my spouse. I need to talk to my kids. We're going to figure out how, how to start this. If that's you and you're saying, yeah, I need to, I need to practice this art. I just, throw your hand up. I just want to pray with you. This can be a moment, a line in the sand where you say, yeah, this far and no further. I'm not going to live out of my anxiety. Father, I pray for my friends in here today, Lord, who need to learn how to lay down their labors. Father, I pray we would be the hardest working people in the world and the best rested people in the world. Lord, help my friends to repent of overwork, of mistrust, and to embrace the art of rest. Lord, I pray, Lord, there's someone here maybe who are peeking over the fence of Christianity and are saying, yeah, I just, I, I would, I've never, I never knew that Jesus wanted to give me rest for my soul. Some of you in here, you've never said yes to Jesus. You never said, yes, I want Jesus to rescue me. I want to come to the Savior who doesn't sit in heaven demanding more work from me, but the one who left heaven to do all of the work for me. If you're saying, yes, I want to trust in Jesus today, maybe this is even for the first time, I want you to throw your hand up. We'd love to have someone come and pray for you and stand with you. Father, you know the hearts of these men and women. You know, God, what is, what's your heart in this house. Father, I pray that we as your people would be known as those not who are stressed and anxious, but those who are resting and trusting in you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you so much for having me.